Rosaria Butterfield is a former feminist, left-wing, lesbian, activist, professor who was saved by Christ a couple decades ago and has since been sharing her testimony and the freedom that she has found in Christ. She recently just published an article talking about the sin of using quote-unquote preferred pronouns for people who identify as transgender. This was a practice that she once took part in, in the name of Christian empathy, but now has realized that it's a sin. Wow, she has so much to teach us today, not just about her own testimony, her story of how Christ saved her and the kind of evangelism that was so effective for her in her own life, but also how we as Christians can stand really strong in the spiritual battle of this age. Oh my goodness, you are going to love this conversation and be so encouraged and empowered. That's just what the gospel does. And she is an amazing vessel of that gospel. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Rosaria, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I think most people listening to this have read your books. They know your story or they've read your articles. They've at least familiarized themselves with your testimony. But there are some people out there who don't know. So if we could kind of start from the beginning and you could at least give us a refresher on your testimony and how you came to do what you do now. Okay, great. Well, um, you don't want me to start from the beginning because I'm 61 years old and we would be here for a lot longer than 45 minutes. Oh, that's perfectly but, fine. Um, I'm sure it's all very interesting. <laughs> well, I'll get to the good stuff. Yes. Um, it, when I was 28 years old, I came out as a lesbian feminist activist. I had been um, really struggling with, same, I guess, what we would call same-sex attraction for at least, I guess, a decade before that, although I w had dated men and was just sort of waiting to get zapped and, and you know, find my balance. Right. Uh, but that never did happen. So I became pretty radicalized in uh, college and then graduate school and uh, decided at 28 that I should just, you know, come clean and call myself a lesbian. And so that the next decade was filled really with serially monogamous lesbian relationships. But in addition to that, I was a professor. I was a professor at Syracuse University of English and Women's Studies. Um, I was I was recruited and mentored and then tenured to launch a queer theory program. And I became one of the first crop of uh, tier one research universities, um, uh, you know, gathering of tenured radicals. So I wasn't just the lesbian next door. It was my job to really make homosexuality look wholesome. And I did my best to do that. Right. And, um, uh, you know, and then in the process of writing my post tenure book, uh, I, which was on basically on the religious right. And my, my genuine question was, why do people like you hate people like me? That was, mm. or the people, the person I used to be, that was the genuine question. Yeah. And so I started working on that book. And in the process of working on that book, I met a, a pastor and a neighbor. His name is Ken Smith. He is still alive. He's in his 90s. And he and his wife uh, just shared the gospel with me, not once, not twice, but probably over 500 meals. And I, 
I genuinely wanted to know why they believed what they did. And so I'm an English professor. I needed to read the Bible. And I knew that. And so under Ken Smith's tutelage, I read the Bible. I read it through seven times. And that's a lot of times. You know, mm-hmm. That gives the Holy Spirit a lot of, a lot of bandwidth mm-hmm. in a person's life. And so, um, so during those, uh, the, the two years that I was really studying and reading, I came to the conclusion that I could not write this book, uh, and that Jesus was, was real and true and risen, and that that would be true whether I believed it or not. Mm-hmm. And so that was really the beginning of my undoing as a lesbian activist, activist professor, but also my my remaking as a godly woman mm-hmm. and a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so um, I wasn't zapped. Uh, you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, it wasn't like I committed my life to Christ and then woke up the next day and mm-hmm. said, oh, I should have had a V8. Everything's different. No, I mean, sanctification is slow and hard and painful. Mm-hmm. and um, But it's also real and true. Mm-hmm. And so I am one of that earlier generation of, Christians who can tell you that I came to Christ and praise be to God, I'm no longer gay. And those seem to be hate words these days or hate some kind of a hateful speech these days, but it's simply true. Yes. And there's a lot that I want to ask you about that period of sanctification, because I know there are people who are listening to this who are either in your generation, my generation or younger who mm-hmm. do they hear that? And maybe they're even Christians and they're thinking, that's impossible. You can't ever stop being gay. That's just authentic to who you are. Your attractions cannot change. The best that you can do is just kind of be celibate. And so they're listening to you. They want to believe what you have to say, but they're having a hard time wrapping their minds around it. So before we kind of get into that, because I know this is going to be relatable for so many people, And we joked about not going to the very beginning, but I am interested in kind of just a little bit about your upbringing, how you came to it, you know, at 28 years old, say, I'm not just a lesbian, but I'm basically a queer theory activist. I'm going to live my life this way in a time when that wasn't quite as mainstream and rewarded by the mainstream as it is today, I mean, did you grow up in a religious background? What was that like? What set the stage for that? Sure. Well, I, I'm, my name is Rosaria. So I'm, I'm, I'm named after the rosary. Okay. Mm. <laughs> um, so I was, I was raised in a secular Roman Catholic family mm. and my, I went to Catholic schools throughout. My dad would drop me off uh, at school and he'd say, remember two things, do not get in trouble with the nuns, do everything they say and don't believe a word they say. Wow. So wow. Uh, I was I was raised by secular rationalists. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were strong defenders of Planned Parenthood. And uh, and I talk a little bit about that in all of my books, but especially the book that's coming out in September. So um, so definitely I was a religious skeptic who had enough, um, I guess, uh, Catholic training to understand some of the vocabulary. But I guess the secularism kind of won itself over. Ultimately, you didn't really have any kind of theological foundation. So when you decided that you, 
you know, we're going to come out as a lesbian. Was there any kind of moral wrestling that you had? Were you worried about telling your parents or if you would be accepted or anything like that? Well, you know, I I probably should have been. (laughs) I probably should have been. But but actually, when I came out as a lesbian to my family, that was less threatening Hmm. than when I came out as a Christian. Hmm. And so I think that that might be a little hard to really track with, but my family's liberal and feminist worldviews and commitments made it so that they weren't a blank slate and I wasn't a blank slate. I believed what I believed um, because I believed that that was morally right. Mm-hmm. Not because it was some kind of an affliction and I just couldn't help myself. No, I actually believed that what I was proclaiming was true and right and good and virtuous. Okay, quick pause to tell you about our first sponsor for the day. That is Constitution Wealth. So we are always talking about spending our money in places that actually align with our values. I don't have to tell you to do that when it comes to investments. You know that where you are investing your money should align with the principles that you have. But what about the company that's actually doing the investing, that's planning the investing for you? Don't you want to make sure that they also believe in the mission that you are a part of. That's why Constitution Wealth exists. It is a conservative Christian financial investment firm. They believe that when it comes to investing, personal value should always play a huge role, the main role in wealth management. Constitution Wealth will help support aligning your values with your investments because they understand that you're not just looking at the numbers. When it comes to how you invest your money, spend your money as a Christian, you are also looking at your core values and how they align with what direction your money is going. That's really important. We are supposed to be good stewards of the money, of the riches, whether it's big or small, that the Lord has given us. We are supposed to be making wise investments. So why not partner with Christian conservatives that share in our values to help us do that? You can go to constitutionwealth.com slash You'll schedule a free consultation. Just see if they're right for you. They've got amazing customer service. They're incredible people. You are going to enjoy the consultation that you have have with them so much, I'm sure that you'll make the switch. Constitutionwealth.com slash Allie. Constitutionwealth.com slash Allie. So you told your parents, your parents kind of were just like, okay, not that big of a deal. Um, and so you quickly found acceptance and celebration within the academic community, correct? Do you think that was part correct. of what made you or what motivated you to be so public and so activist-minded that there were kind of rewards and accolades that accompanied this identity? Well, I, that could be. I'm not sure that in the 90s there were quite as many uh, accolades right. Um uh, but, you know, I mean, I, you know, my undoing has always been that I'm a truth speaker, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's, that's how I always get myself into these pickles, you know, um, I, you know, I had a little stick on my desk that said I'd rather be, you know, wrong on an important point than right on a trivial one. And in some ways, I've just always really lived my life like that. Um, but there is no question that in the 90s, uh, especially at the universities where I was at, 
there was a strong core of feminist activists mm-hmm. and and I was one of those and and it really did give me um you know a team and a cause if you will right so let's fast forward to you kind of explained the in between and then sanctification as you described it it's not like you woke up one day and you were fully sanctified and you decided great I'm not a lesbian anymore I'm going to just move forward in this life with Christ. There was a process of letting go. I imagine that one of the most difficult things that you let go of, one of them, was a life of homosexuality. And you were with oh, a yeah. committed partner at the time, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. She was a, um, a professor also. So um, we had a core group of, of, of people. We called them our family of choice. Um, and we were grownups. Um, I was in, you know, my 30s. She was in her 40s. When we broke up, we didn't have a spider plant and, you know, a folding chair table to, you know, to, to separate. We had, we had, I had people who depended upon me. I had graduate students who depended upon me. And when I came to Christ, I betrayed a lot of people and I really did. I mean, can you imagine how horrific it would be to be one of my lesbian feminist graduate students writing a dissertation in queer theory and I become a committed Christian? You know, that that truly would ruin your life and your career. And so hmm. um, that's true. And and I did that to people. Yeah. And and tell me about that specific point of sanctification. You've written about this before, actually, in a response article to Jen Hatmaker a few years ago saying that, sure, you can be gay and be a Christian. And you talk about how you kind of wrestled with that after you became a Christian, after you believed in the gospel. You wanted to think, yes, I can be a gay Christian. Yes, I can have my partner and have Christ, too. Tell me about that wrestling. What was that like? You know, well, first of all, the wrestling should be really obvious to anybody that that whatever it is we like and we do and is so normal and natural to us that we can't really separate ourselves from it. It's really hard to see that through the lens of Christ. It's hard to see that as a vestige of original sin Um, because we can, we normalize it and we can think of all the ways that we've done good in the world and all those kinds of things. And so I think the first challenge for every single Christian is to use the Bible as our lens for, uh, to separate out what is part of our image bearing of a holy God, part of our creational design and what is part of the world, the flesh and the devil. So the only way to distinguish those two is to use the the Bible. If I use my feelings, mm-hmm. I'm going to get messed up on all kinds of things, right. not just homosexuality. Mm-hmm. So that's the first order of business. The second order of business then is to actually believe that the Bible knows me better than I know myself and that that Jesus has something better for me than what I think is true. Mm. And then the third part is to learn, and this is again not not specific to homosexuality. This is for every single Christian on the on planet Earth to learn how to hate your sin without hating yourself. And every Christian I know has to get up every morning and drive a new nail, fresh nail, into our choice sin every day. Mm. And if you actually do that, the power 
of the resurrection is yours to have victory over your sin. Mm-hmm. Now, are you lobotomized? No, not actually. <laughs> you know, right. not at all. And at any moment, any of us could backslide and fall into whatever uh, sins are, are, you know, that know us really well and that we know really well. But that's where we realize that prayer doesn't mean you ask the Holy Spirit to do your job. Mm -hmm. See, prayer isn't, Lord, you know, pray the gay away, just zap me, take it over. No, that's not it at all. Mm -hmm. Prayer is, Lord, put the tools in my hands and help me to 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 mortify this sin, help me to kill it, to hate it, to defy it, mm-hmm. and to grow in your grace. Mm-hmm. And you know, there is absolutely no way that you can call yourself a gay Christian and do that. You can't put your sin on life support and kill it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's where the subject of homosexuality does need to be looked at through a particular lens. Uh, not because it's a, not because it's such a special sin. It's 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 a garden variety sin, just like you know you've got garden variety spiders. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. But it's probably the only one that has civil rights protection. Mm. And so for that reason, uh, many many evangelical Christians are really torn right now right. about how to proceed forward. And and that's where we just have to be bold and clear. And not muddled and ambiguous and um, and really quite you know foolish. So, as an academic who became a Christian, were you met with some of the same arguments about Christianity and homosexuality that we are today? You've probably heard some of them. Well, the word homosexuality was added into the Bible later. Well, if you dig into it, it's really talking about pedophilia or it's talking about prostitution or the Old Testament. Sure, it says that, but it says lots of other things, too. Um, were you confronted with those kinds of things when you were trying to figure this out? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's always been my challenge. Um, mm. You know, some people are become fairly proficient swimmers by being thrown into the deep end and providentially flapping around in such a way that allows them to survive. Mm. That doesn't necessarily mean they should be a swim coach. And in some ways, that's a good analogy for how it's always been for me. I've really always been confronted with extremely uh, challenging questions. But by God's grace, I've also been part of a denomination with pastors and elders who have, uh, who have been able to really equip me to work through these questions. Those are good questions, and they actually have good biblical answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of it has to do with if you believe there are any problem passages in the Bible. In other words, do you believe the Bible was actually given to us, God breathed, um, transcribed by chosen men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that we could have everything we need for faith and life? Mm-hmm. Or do you believe that there are some real problems in here. It's, you know, it's not really sufficient. It's not really inerrant. It's not, you know, it's not really inspired. And sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Uh, If that's what you believe, which I think is a foolish way to go about, you know, why even buy, why even be a Christian Mm -hmm. if you're going to believe that your Bible can't see you through and your Lord's salvation is not sufficient. I mean, 
I don't even understand why you'd want to be a Christian at that point, but, but that's a different story. You have, if you, if you see that the, the old Testament and the new Testament, in fact, are, 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 um, are so deeply connected because our God is one God, not two God, that there are no problem passages in the Bible. If you can see and appreciate that, then you can hold on, that you can have confidence and you can learn how to wait on the Lord as you are fighting your sin. And you can learn this fine art of Christian maturity as you grow in sanctification. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think those are really important things. But I also was, uh, and I guess I still am, a 19th century scholar. And these ideas about sexual orientation as a category of personhood were ideas that came of age out of uh, German Romanticism and uh, and Freudianism and were part of the 19th century. And, and so anybody who studies the history of ideas, as anybody with a PhD would, would know, well, these are not really ancient ideas. This idea that sexual orientation is who you are, not how you are, is about 150 years old. Right. You know, it, it's not like it, oh, you know, back there when we made the pyramids, this idea was there. Not at all. Mm-hmm. And so even as a um, gay rights activist, uh, my community was very suspicious of some of these uh, ideas about sexual orientation. Now, in my generation, we were suspicious about it because it was considered an illness. And we wanted you to know that gay is good. We weren't sick and we didn't need your cure. Mm-hmm. But the same, you know, the same issue is at stake here. So my generation, actually, we understood our homosexuality through uh, the lens of a, at that point, um, iconic lesbian poet named Adrian Rich, who wrote uh, a, a fairly seminal article called uh, um, Compulsory Heterosexuality and Lesbian Existence. Hmm. So many of us came to our lesbianism out of heterosexual relationships. Right. And we, we viewed those heterosexual relationships as compulsory through a societal lens yeah. and therefore not, you know, in some ways authentic, Real. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, it's always a little uncomfortable to talk about death and yet physical death is inevitable. Even though we as Christians are secure in our eternal life in Christ, the fact of the matter is, is that we will one day physically die. And we need to make sure that those we leave behind are taken care of. That means no matter what your age is, whether you're 20 years old, whether you're 70 years old, you need to make sure that you have a last will and testament. And I know what you're thinking. You don't want to think about that. It's too complicated. It costs too much money. You don't even know what kind of lawyer to contact. Well, that's why Epic Will exists. They know how important this is and they know how complicated it can be and they know how busy you are. So they've made it really, really simple. If you go to epicwill.com slash Allie, you can create a last will and testament in as little as five minutes and for just $119. Unless you are a single mom with kids at home under the age of 18, then you get this service absolutely for free. The guy who started Epic Will, he just has a heart for single moms and he wants to make sure that you are taken care of and that there are no hindrances to you doing that. So totally for free for single moms with kids under the age of 18 at home. For everyone else, if you go to epicwill.com slash Allie, 
you save 10% on your complete will package. So you get a discount to epicwill.com slash Allie to save that 10% epicwill.com slash Allie. There's so many things in what she said that I want to respond to and ask questions about. But one thing that you said is that really kind of some of those difficult questions and good questions that people have about what does the Bible really have to say about sexuality in marriage, they really do go back to fundamentally what you think, as you said, about the Bible, but also not just that about God himself. Do you believe that he is authoritative? Do you believe that he is loving? Do you believe that he is trustworthy? Then that will determine how we read the Bible. We don't just read the Bible saying, well, what can we get away with? What does the Bible specifically say that we cannot do? And can we somehow exclude those verses to see how sinful we can really be and still be a Christian. We also look to the Bible because we love God and he loves us and say, but what does God say to do? What does he say is good and holy and pleasing to him? And we see only one type of sexual relationship positively defined, spiritually defined, eternally defined, and that's marriage between a man and a woman. So I think you're absolutely right that it really is about a lens. Yes, those questions are good, but they speak to something I think more fundamental about someone's faith and how they view God. But my my I guess my attachment to that or my building off of that is how then you kind of changed your mentality from one of not just skepticism, but really a dislike of Christians thinking that they hated you to realizing, oh, God is loving. Christians can be extremely loving. You talked about Ken Smith. How did you go from that skepticism and maybe antipathy towards Christianity towards realizing, wow, God actually wants what is good for me? What did that look like? Right, right, right. Well, one of the things that um, we would say in the Reformed Presbyterian Church is that the Bible is a unified biblical revelation. So the Old Testament is not somehow lesser than the New Testament. It's law and gospel. It's not one or the other. And, uh, you know, I would say that the seeds of the gospel are in the garden. And so that was just part of the, 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 you know, the Reformed Presbyterian Church. And so here were my, these people who were, who were in my life now, and I was hearing that fairly constantly. But I would say um, a real breakthrough moment for me was sitting at Ken Smith's table um, probably for the 500th time, I don't know. Right. Um, and, uh, after, you know, after a meal, we would, um, we would sing a song and then Ken would read from the Bible and we would discuss it. And we were singing from Psalm 23. And I remember, you know, I was sitting there thinking, you know, oh, poor me. I am, I am the only lesbian here. Uh, you know, I am all alone. And these, these, these people are my enemies and they don't believe in gay rights and they don't, you know, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we're singing through the psalm and I'm, I'm doing this kind of pity party. Mm. And we, then we get to this line, you know, about dining in the presence of my enemies. And I don't know, it was, it was really a, it was a scary moment for an English professor. English professors like to be right about reading things, right? We like to think we know how to read books. So it was a really bizarre moment for me to realize I actually was reading this whole psalm from the entirely wrong point of view. Mm. 
these people were not my enemy. I was theirs. Mm. And furthermore, I was Christ's enemy. But then to make it all the more disarming, these people love me. And I think that was the real turning point for me. Now, I, I, I'd love to tell you that I just dropped to my knees and committed my life to Christ. And it was all, that's not what happened. I fought for about a year after that. But that was a, that was a turning point in the way I was thinking about things. I, I realized that in some ways they were my friends, but I was their enemy. And I was their enemy because I was Christ's enemy. Mm-hmm. But they loved me anyway. And so I, I would say I came of age under a discipling ministry that understood you're not actually supposed to pretend that your enemies are your friends. You're supposed to do something harder. You're to love them. And I was a recipient of that kind of radical Christian love. And how did these people kind of balance with you truth-telling about sin and salvation and just friendship and kindness and hospitality? Were they constantly intertwined? Did they come up at different times? Or what was that like? Well, it was a different world. So I think that we need to understand that a post-Abergefell world has different rules attached to it because the Obergefell decision, 2015 Supreme Court decision that legalized gay marriage had had embedded in it something called the Dignitary Harm Clause. And the Dignitary Harm Clause says, if you deny my LGBTQ plus minus, et cetera, et cetera, dignity, uh, that's, you know, that's harm. Now, in my generation, you know, if you didn't sell me a pizza, that was harm. If I go in and you're, you know, you're a pizza owner and you're supposed to sell me a pizza and you don't sell me a pizza because I'm queer. Well, I just want my pizza. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, don't, that's it. But now you see we are in a different world where if you fail to affirm who I am, now you're committing me harm. So right. just, you know, one of the first things Ken Smith said to me is, Rosaria, I can accept you as you are, but I don't approve of you. Right. Now, I'm not so sure we could start there today. But I wasn't at all offended by that. I was a university professor. I was a grown-up. I didn't need everybody to agree with me. And if I did, I would have been, you know, flattened long before I met Ken Smith and all of these Christians. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was fine. I wanted to, I genuinely wanted to know why they thought what they did. Mm. Um, And I wasn't somehow, you know, I I wasn't depending upon the whole world to affirm me. Yeah. Uh, And so that's, that's an important thing to to, to think about. We were actually grownups. And the more that a society um, offers laws and values and ideas, that are further and further away from biblical truth, the more foolish and immature we are going to create um, a citizenship. Mm-hmm. And so it is never in a Christian's interest uh, as someone who is to love your neighbor as yourself, to put a law between a fellow image bearer and a holy God that would prevent her from coming to Christ. And so something like the Obergefell decision 
is a terrible sin. Christians mm. should repent of this. This is awful, you know, and, and you certainly should not be, um, you know, sort of a la David French trying up, trying to come up with some bizarre way that you're going to import, you know, pluralism as some kind of a gospel defense. That's crazy. That's foolish. Mm. And it makes me wonder if you want people like me to come to Christ. I mean, right. do you want that or you not? Know, I, I've never, I actually have not, I have not heard it explained that way. Of course, I agree with you on the Obergefell decision and the kinds of laws that affirm what we know is sin is just not a definition of marriage that has ever legitimately existed. Two men, two women now are seen more than just two, because why not? It's limitless. Right. Um, but I've never heard it explained that supporting a law that legalizes gay marriage is actually an inhibition to someone repenting and believing in the gospel. Can you explain that a little bit further? That's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I and I think it's really, if you think about it, I don't think this is like, this is not Christian rocket science. This is really, really simple. Um, the job of the civil magistrate is to punish evil and to um, to allow good to flourish. And if it flips that around, if it starts to punish the, if it starts to fl- allow evil to flourish, mm-hmm. then it by necessity it will have to punish the good. But just for a minute, think about how powerful this is. There's only one uh, entity that wants you that prohibits repentance, wants you to not, not repent. And that's Satan himself. Mm -hmm. So any law that would make it hard for someone to repent of a sin is itself sin. And any person who in any way supports that or even kind of muddies the waters on that is in gross violation of God's love for lost people. Mm. I, I mean, I felt like I was being torn apart by wild horses when I came to Christ. Mm. Uh, now, I was obviously not, quote unquote, legally married, but I had co-authored the university's uh, domestic partnership policy, which was actually a forerunner to gay marriage in the 90s. That, you know, just getting my lesbian partner off my health insurance was really hard. Yeah. Wow. I can't imagine how difficult it would be today. Yeah. So it cre- uh, it basically so, you're saying it creates even more of a hassle just logistically and practically for someone. And 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 it sucker punches you every step of the way. How could you be doing this? How can you be hurting someone? How could you, you know, it, 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 Satan loves you to think that you are so deep into your sin that to repent now would really be a trouble. But oh, and just the opposite yeah. is true, because wherever you are, I don't care where you are, I don't care how deep it is. If you repent right now, you have the Lord Jesus Christ as mm. both your judge and your advocate. Yes. So Amen. he's your lawyer. He'll get you out of it. Yeah. it. It is bad. It is deep. And I understand that. Yes. But if you repent and believe, you have the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so yes. what you see among all of these, I don't know what to call them. I see I, at this point, you have to make the distinction between Christians who want to go to heaven and Christians who want to have, I don't know, New York Times, you know, columns. Yeah. But 
the, the, the Christians who are um, very, very concerned about, you know, how difficult it would be for people to uh, leave their, you know, their lives. Do you not believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, who created the mountains and told them where to stand, who created man and woman in, in, in his image, not as his image, but in his image, yes. who created humanity with a design purpose, do you not think he knows how to make it all better? Yeah. Not just okay, but glorious? Right. I, I don't know. I, I think that once... I, I, anyway, I just, I don't know. It's yeah. baffling to me. But, That's basically but the only like saying it's in... Sorry, go ahead. And mean the anymore. only person who wants you to not repent is Satan and his minions. So if some Christian says, oh, I don't know, I don't think we should dismantle gay marriage. That would be so hard on these gay people. You know, you might want to preach the gospel to that person. Yeah. Wow. It's like saying that there is some there are some messes or some complications that are totally inextractable to God. That they're just right. they're too it's not that they're too complicated for us, they're saying, or for people, but that they're actually too complicated for God. That he is even looking at this and saying, Wow, you guys are too far gone. And you're exactly right. That is what Satan tells people. That tells that's what he tells people who are caught in sin. You're too far into this lie. You're too far into this mess. You can't get out of it. You might as well just end your life. You might as well just go deeper into sin. You might as well just lie a little bit more. And I see that even more, I think, in the, whatever you want to call it, gender confusion, gender deceit, transgender phenomenon in which someone's actual physical body is maimed, perhaps irreversibly. I mean, for that person to come to repentance, that is even, wow, that's even more difficult, especially if you're someone your entire young life You've been affirmed as the opposite sex. I mean, really, Satan's got a foothold to tell you, nope, you are too far gone, right? But Christians need to answer that mm. because at least what I have seen from my perspective, gospel promises may be the most beautiful to our detransitioners out there because the gospel promise is that God can't be mocked. So whatever in your sin or your confusion or your delusion or your mental illness or your victimization, whatever you allow to happen to your body will not be permanent because in the new Jerusalem, you will be the man that God made you to be. You will be the woman that God made you to be. Yes. And so there is the absolute ultimate hope in the gospel. If not now, I mean, we have so many examples of detransitioners now who are living godly, beautiful lives. Yes. If not now, then certainly later. Mm -hmm. So in Christ, there is the only hope. Okay, next sponsor is for my Patriot Supply. I tell you about them a lot because I think it's really important to be uh, it's better to be safe than to be sorry, especially when it comes to food supply. Should things really hit the fan? I mean, we don't ever know what the future holds. You just want to make sure that you're taken care of, at least for an interim period when it comes to what you and your family eat. That's why we use My Patriot Supply. We've got their emergency food kits stowed away. They're good 
in storage for up to 30 years. Hopefully you'll never need them. But if you do, you can rest assured that you and your family will have that nourishment for three months. Get an emergency food kit for everyone in your family. It's 2,000 calories a day. These meals are really good. Go to mypatriotsupply.com. If you order today, you'll receive a free gravity-powered Alexa Pure Pro water filtration system. Any prepper will tell you that preparing your water sources is actually the most important thing for you to do in times of crisis. So order today, get that free gravity-powered Alexa Pure Pro Water Filtration System um, as a bonus with your three-month kit. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com, MyPatriotSupply.com. And tell us... Because you said you uh, wrote an article about this recently that I thought was very interesting. How Christians should approach not detransitioners, but people who are gender confused, people who believe and present as the opposite sex. You wrote how you kind of subscribe to this idea, which I've seen mostly propagated by Preston Sprinkle and others, of pronoun politeness or pronoun hospitality. Basically, the idea for those who are unfamiliar is that you kind of, that's how you get in with someone. That's how you earn their trust. That's how you show that you're loving towards them. You kind of affirm their stated identity by using their preferred pronoun. So calling a man that you know a man is a she, et cetera. And then that kind of gives you the entryway to eventually build a relationship and share the gospel. You were once kind of convinced by that line of reasoning, but recently you've said, nope, that was a sin. I repented of that. So tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yes, I mean, I definitely believed in that. And, um, and, you know, that's kind of an old, an old, uh, just, you know, an old follow through from my gay rights days. That's uh, this whole pronoun hospitality thing. Um, and I, you know, I know people, I, I, I have met people, I know people whose, um, their, the particular imprint of Adam's sin on their life is this, this war mm. that is inside of them. Uh, and this self-hatred about the, the the sexual anatomy that they have. And so the general idea was don't don't when you meet an unstable person, don't don't make it even more unstable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I believed and I subscribed to that for, for years and years. And um, in the new book I have coming out in September, I have actually, uh, I think maybe, I don't know, multiple pages of repentance of the things that I believed, even as a Christian, the, the things that followed me through. Mm-hmm. Um, why? I don't know. Cause I'm stupid because my <laughs> sanctification isn't, isn't complete. Um, Which is true for all became, of us. Yeah. Right. Right. But it, but it's worse for a public figure. Hmm. Public sins have, they public sins, put your sins on blast. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, I'm just the, you know, the pastor's wife next door who, uh, you know, has muddled ideas. No, I write them in books that lots of people read. So that's a problem. Um, but what's been really obvious of late is that the pronoun issue is no longer a terminological issue. And this is where Preston Sprinkle and Mark Yarhouse are either just, maybe they're just fools, or maybe they're deceptively wrong. But we've had this conversation now for a couple of years. So they get to be one or the other, or they get to repent. That's, yeah. that's, the, that's the line I'm drawing in the sand here. Um, because um, we are no longer ter- talking about terminology. We're not talking about looking up in your synonym finder 
you know, different versions of the same words so that you can, you know, lighten up your writing. We're talking about ideology. We're talking about um, a, a, an idea that has a material force. And I mean, my friend Andrew Branch put it this way. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, you know, yesterday the DOJ filed a lawsuit challenging Tennessee's new law protecting minors from transgender ideology. And this is what my friend Andrew said. He said, oh, look, the 14th Amendment is now claimed by the federal government over castrating minors. Yeah. Okay. So how do we know that this is uh, ideology? Uh, what the DOJ did yesterday. Yeah. This isn't terminology. And anybody who says it is, is either a fool or is working for Satan. And if I can just quote the Bible here for a moment, Second yes. Corinthians 4, 1, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But this is where I want to put all those people I called out in my article on, on notice here. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Wow. Those who are still using personal transgendered pronouns and claiming that they're just trying to practice kindness are indeed practicing cunning mm -hmm. and tampering with God's word. This yes. is really serious. And so my article was meant to do two things. It was to identify a problem, but also to call other uh, public figures like myself who had uh, committed this sin for years and years to repentance, not course correction, repentance. Those are different things uh, because this is the Aiken in the camp. And if you remember from Joshua, what happened didn't go so well for Achan. And if we in the evangelical church are wondering why it's not going so well for us, it's because of sin, mm -hmm. not the sin, not the makeup sins of the social justice warriors, but the actual sins that the Bible teaches us, right. of which pronoun hospitality is one. You know, my friend M.D. Perkins pointed out to me recently that pronouns are in the public domain. And that means that you really can't control how somebody uses a word in the public domain. And yet the fact that even the federal government thinks it has the right to do that mm -hmm. tells you we are in a moment where if you as a Christian want to actually fulfill the command in Psalm 9610, which says, say among the heathen that the Lord reigns, you will need to defy this. Mm -hmm. But first, you need to clean house. Evangelicals need to be called to the carpet. And I'm willing to do that. Yes. I love how you put it in your article because you're reiterating, emphasizing the truth that to call a man she is a lie. It's a, it's a lie. And it's a lie that goes against God's word, Genesis 127, the first place that we see that God made us male and female. We don't see any biblical category of being able to identify as a gender that is different than our biological sex. So to call some someone something that is different than their biological sex is a lie. And here's the question that you ask that I think is very poignant. Does any real Christian believe crafting a relationship on falsehood will give the gospel a better hearing? 
And is that how people are converted by meeting God on sin's terms and hearing nice things about themselves? I think a lot of Christians really do believe that, though. Yeah, I, I do, too. I mean, I recently had a, a situation in my community where, um, you know, there was, I mean, you know the story. There's a there's a swim team and and there's a transgender swimmer. And yeah. then there are a lot of people trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, and I would say how you deal with um, actually proclaiming the gospel in a hostile world will be reflected in some way by the kind of church that you attend. And if you are in a church that believes that God loves you, has a perfect plan for your life, and wants your five-year-old to have every enrichment opportunity available, uh, you are, you're going to fail this test. Mm-hmm. You're going to fundamentally be ashamed of the gospel. You're going to defy what Paul says in Romans 1.16. And you are going to anybody who thinks that you can't, let me just put it out there. Anybody who thinks that you can put your kids in government schools and that you can be a soft presence and come out okay, you know, you are not living in reality. Because if you want to be a soft presence in Sodom, (laughs) you are either going to be apostate or you're going to come out like Lot. Yeah. Neither are those are like the high bar to aspire to. Mm. That's an interesting way to put it. The soft presence. And you hear this kind of defense a lot. Well, my children are a soft presence in the public school or I'm a soft presence. And really what you're saying is that you don't want to be that the bright light that Jesus calls us to be in the darkness. You kind of want to be um a diffused nightlight that isn't really noticed or isn't really seen, but you can still say that you're on. And you're saying that doesn't really work. At some point, someone's going to come over and unplug you or cover you up. Well, exactly. And you know what? You might have thought that worked 20 years ago because the, the, you know, the, there were still foundations that were holding. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you didn't have transgender ideology as part of an anti-bullying legislation in the government schools. So, you know, you you had a more control. So I could hear, I could imagine somebody 20 years ago saying, you know, well, here's why it was different. And okay, okay, I can understand it might be different. But the reality is, um, after a Burgafell, that middle road that people want to walk on. And you, you know about that middle road because Tim Keller loves that middle road. It's the, you know, it's, it's the center church. It's, you know, redeemed the the city. Mm -hmm. Well, that third way that, and I, you know, I used to write books about the third way. So like, I get it. I used to believe that stuff. So you you can, you know, blame me for some of this too, (laughs) but in war borders close in war roads get washed out. Mm. That middle road is washed out. And the only way that you can walk on it right now is by conceding the moral language to the left. And if you yield the moral language to the left, you are in no business to be a Christian presence because to be a Christian presence means you have to say things that will be considered bigotry. Yes. They're not, they're biblical. Right. But you can either see the moral language to the left or you can offer biblical language. Mm. And 
most of the people that I talk to, especially the nervous housewives who have put their children yes. in government schools so that they can get their nails done, uh, most of those people think that they, uh, you know, well, Rosaria, you know, we're to be, you know, in the world, but not of the world. Well, newsflash, you're not strong enough. Right. And now you need to work on that. All right. Last sponsor for the day is Birch Gold. This goes in line with what we've been talking about really with all of our ads today. Just making sure that you're prepared, that your situation is secure as possible. And there's a lot of market volatility there has been for the past few years. And gold has historically been a great hedge against the stock market against inflation. So now would be a great time to diversify into gold with Birch Gold. If you want to know more about this, if you're like, I don't, Allie, I don't even know what you're talking about. What is this? You need to text Allie to 989-898. They'll send you a free info kit, no obligation on gold. You can learn more about it, see if it's right for you and your financial situation. But it's important to have these hard assets when things are so volatile. So at least learn more about it by texting Allie to 989-898. They'll send you that free info kit. People love Birch Gold that work with them. They've got amazing reviews. Text Allie to 989-898. 898 Alley to 989-898 today. Gosh, I could talk to you for so much longer. There's so many questions that I have of you, but I, I want to end with asking you to to give two messages. And I, you know, as summarized as we can, I know that's difficult. One to the Christian who is not struggling with the sin of sexual identity, if you want to call it that, but who is not sure how to approach this sin lovingly. Maybe they are nervous. They're in the workplace or whatever. There, Some people even feel that they are being basically coerced to share their own pronouns, which I think is a whole part of their ideological ritual that you shouldn't be a part of, or they're, they love someone deeply in their lives who is gay and has a partner or is quote unquote married and, or who thinks that they're the opposite sex and they want to stand in truth, but they don't know how lovingly. That's the first message. What would you say to that person if you were standing in front of them and you only had a few seconds to encourage them? I'll, I'll let you answer that and then I'll ask you for the okay. for the last message. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's a real challenge. How to stay connected to your loved ones without becoming indoctrinated. Or, you know, the alternate is also true. How how to stay connected without mocking and deriding and uh, and, and, you know, just, just retorting to just cruelty. And I would say the strength of your church is going to determine that, but you, you, you are to stay connected without being indoctrinated. And I would just recommend, and I do in my article, uh, you know, the amazing life and the ministry of a woman named Laura Perry Smaltz, yes. who yes. is a counselor. And, you know, she, and she lived as a quote unquote transgendered man for, uh, you know, for years and years and years. And during all those years, her loving conservative Christian family and church refused to use her pronouns. Um, and they did that because they loved her for real. They loved her in real time. They prayed for her. They stayed connected to her. And when the Lord uh, transformed her heart and her mind, she went back to the people who didn't lie to her, not to the people who did. So I would just encourage you to stay um, faithful in 
this waiting and it is very, very hard. And the other thing I would say is don't discount how very truly traumatic this is for parents and for loved ones. And so um, please do not worship in some weak, ridiculous mega church just because you've always been there. Go to a church that's solid. Go to a place mm-hmm. that's preaching the real gospel and surround yourself with praying, faithful Christians. And I would also say, and it's a hard one, but I think we all have to get up every morning and pray to the Lord. Lord, if I lose my job today for your glory, please protect me and my children. Yeah. Um, don't cave. Don't cave. Yep. Um, yep. Hebrews 11 is where you would look. Look, it's the same. The gospel is going to win whether you're sawn in two or whether you're saved from the mouths of the lions. Now, I know which one you'd prefer because I know which one I'd prefer, Mm -hmm. but our lives are not our own. We are owned by Christ. Yes. And to the person who is struggling, they're either listening to this and they're very angry and they're thinking, oh, these two bigots coming together, these two phobes coming together and talking about this, or maybe they're listening and they're right on the precipice. But the extractions that they would have to make in their lives as someone who thinks they're transgender or homosexual, they're intimidated by them. What would be your encouragement to those people? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I probably both of us would say, you know, reach out to us, um, come to our churches. If you're my neighbor, you know, join me. Um, uh, you know, and again, uh, the scripture verse that I would say when, when, when I know when I was really struggling, and it's a serious struggle. It's not, it's not a struggle. Sexual sin um, is a really serious struggle because it's, it's something that's inside you, not outside of you. But something that's always been very comforting is also in 2 Corinthians, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're afflicted. You're not crushed. You're Christian. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Okay, you're perplexed. Why do I feel this way? Why, why you know, how can I go on? Um, you are persecuted, but not forsaken. You will never be forsaken by Christ. You are struck down, but not destroyed. Um, you are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So th- this is to someone who's a Christian and struggling. Mm. Um, and someone who is not a Christian and struggling, I would say, you need to get out from the middle of the intersection. All right, You need to get to one side or the other. And the only safe side is in Christ. Mm. He made you. He knows you. He will take care of you. Um, and the church is here for you. And, um, and yes, I understand that according to, the, to the, the law of the land, we're bigots. I mean, just by not wanting to use pronouns, I'm a bigot. But I think that's, I think that's ideologically uh, driven. And I think it's, it's foolish. And I don't think you should believe that. Yes. yes. I, I think that you should believe God. Who's more likely to make a mistake? And what you're thinking right now, you are, are the God who made the universe. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's, you know, we are fallible. God is not. Homosexuality and transgenderism are not immutable. God is immutable. Yes. And the only safe place to stand right now is at the foot of the cross. So yes. come join us. Yes. Amen. Thank you so much, Rosaria. And people can find your books wherever books are sold. You can just type in her name, but you've also got another book coming out this fall. You said, I think you said September, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. Is it available for pre-sale right now or not quite yet? Yes, it is. It is. Okay, great. Then I encourage people, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age to go out and go ahead and 
claim your copy. I can't wait to read it. I'm super excited. Um, Rosaria, thank you so much. Thank you just for your Christ-empowered courage and your obedience and the example that he's allowed you to set for all of us in repentance. I really appreciate that so much. Well, all glory goes to God. Yes, and amen. Thank you so much, Rosaria. Thank you. Thank you. 